This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. Oh. It ended well. <laughs> McCourt for the win. In the it's air. Good. It is up. And it is good. Fourth and 16. Pressure comes. Imano Bebe with the ball in the air. Makes the catch. Welcome to Oski Talk. I'm Drew Pastoric. Okay, maybe y'all were right. Maybe y'all were right. I was trying to be Mr. Positivity, Mr. Wonderful. I was trying to tell you to lighten up about Illinois football, and maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was wrong. Another frustrating effort on Saturday. Illini losing to Purdue, also losing their chance, essentially, to compete for the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis. Lots to discuss regarding that game. It was not uh, a very artistic effort by the Fighting Illini. Started off okay, and then a lot of stuff happened. Some that was their fault, some that wasn't. My favorite officiating crew of all time happened to officiate this game as well. So... I will certainly get into all that. Plenty to discuss regarding Illinois football, kind of where things stand now, what the outlook should be moving forward. Uh, But lots of basketball to get into as well on the show. Fighting Illini tipping off their season this week. Be recapping briefly the Eastern Illinois game and the UMKC game leading up to the Monmouth game on Monday. And Alex Orr, one of our colleagues from the Champagne Room, will join us to talk about the women's side. Shauna Green, year one. What's the early return on the Fighting Illini women's squad? He'll share some insight. He follows the team pretty closely, so looking forward to hearing from Alex as well. And then at the end of the show, take a few minutes to spotlight our Illini of the week. (sighs) Okay. I just have to (laughs) take a deep breath before we get into this. Illinois losing to Purdue 31-24 on Saturday in Champaign. Senior day, uh, another game that Illinois seemed to have a grip on early. That's really been the case in a lot of these games this season. You know, Illinois has not come out flat. They have not come out uninspired or lethargic. You know, they had a good start to this game. They did. Uh, They forced a turnover on downs. Purdue was driving, and Illinois stopped them on fourth down, gets the ball back. They punch it in with Chase Brown. Two-yard touchdown run, 7-0. You know, Purdue also had a missed field goal early in the game. Tyler Strain had an interception. So, I mean, the, the team was responding early. But Purdue just kept moving the ball consistently. That was one of the biggest stories of the game for me was Purdue winning up front. I mean, they really pushed Illinois around up front. 
Um, but Illinois, it was a back and forth game, back and forth game for the most part. And then just penalties really killed Illinois. And there's a lot of stuff that happened. People don't want to talk about it, but you know, Illinois letting a golden opportunity slip away, not once, but twice, you know, not just losing this weekend, but last weekend as well. You know, even had Illinois split these two games, you're thinking, hey, they're still in control of of what they can do in the Big Ten West. They have two home games against some middling teams. These are teams that at this juncture, Illinois ought to beat, and they just couldn't do it. Too many mistakes. I don't want to say it's a lack of preparedness. I don't think they were unprepared. We mentioned in the Michigan State game last week, the the play calling was iffy, a very conservative game plan by Barry Lunny. It's like, hey, we're just going to hand the ball off 35 times up the middle to Chase Brown. Eventually, a team's going to figure that out. Eventually, a team is going to be ready for that. And, you know, Michigan State was to some extent, but Purdue was certainly ready for it. And then the one big run that Chase Brown did have late in the fourth got called back due to a penalty. It turned a 25-yard run into an 8-yard run. That was one of the big stories. Drops, another big story. We'll get to that. But, you know, Chase Brown finishing 23 carries, 98 yards. Did have two touchdowns. Did the Heisman pose thing. I thought it was kind of funny. You got the fan base now that's like, ugh, why would you do that? Don't showboat. Like, come on. He was overlooked all season in terms of Heisman. So, yeah, he was sending a little message. I'm cool with that. It was fine. At that time of the game, it was fine. Uh, But he finishes with 23 carries, 98 yards, two touchdowns. The touchdowns are good. Uh, He gets to second place all time at Illinois. 3,005 rushing yards. Only Robert Holcomb is ahead of him in the Illini annals. Robert Holcomb was a pretty damn good running back and and played in the NFL for a while. So anytime you're mentioned in that conversation with him, it's, it's notable. It's a heck of an accomplishment. But he did not get to triple digits. So that snapped a streak of 10 straight 100-plus yard games. So you take the good with the bad. Yes, the individual accolade is nice. You know, getting beyond 3,000 yards, now solely in second place all time. But he suffered that injury late in the game when Illinois was, you know, just desperate to move the ball, trying to make a play to get in field goal position. DeVito hits him on a little, you know, swing pass, and he looks like he rolled his ankle as he was going out of bounds, and, you know, he was on the field favoring that lower leg for a little bit, was able to walk off the field under his own power. It looked really serious at the time. We don't really know yet how serious it is. You hope more than anything else, like, yes, you want Illinois to have him. They're a much better team when he is out there and available. Uh, it's not going to bode well for Illinois if he's not playing, but 
Yeah, I know I speak for quite a few Illini fans, maybe not all, but most of them, I would assume, that uh, we just want Chase Brown to be healthy and be able to come back. You know, wanting to play, but just hope that he's not seriously injured. Uh, you want to see him get a chance to play in a bowl for all the hard work he's put in. He's been one of the guys that's helped spearhead this rebuild and this, you know, this turnaround. So you hope he's okay. Um, DeVito, I think, was 21 out of 32 on Saturday. So not terrible. I mean, that's still better than 60%. Uh, but not a not a great game. Probably his worst game as an Illini. Some of that was not his fault. There were a ton of drops in this game. Bryant had one. Williams had a couple. Uh, the most glaring drop, though, was... In the second quarter, that's uh, that's uh, the flea flicker. It was like four players touched the ball. Four players touched the ball on that play. DeVito had it. Brown and Williams had it. Gets it back to DeVito. And Tip Ryman has an easy touchdown. He's all alone. There's a guy covering him, but the, but the DB is behind him. Tip Ryman makes the catch. It's a walk-in touchdown. Maybe Illinois wins the game. Who knows? I mean, it, it happened so early, a lot could have happened. But it certainly would have been a, a huge pendulum moment in the game that would have swung in the Illini's favor. Ryman drops it. It goes through his hands. And we've seen Barry Lunny call those types of plays. I think it's four or five times it's happened. And... They were beautifully drawn up every time, and it was either a drop or a penalty has screwed it up. Purdue was not ready for it. They were completely fooled. Ryman makes uh, misses that catch, and if he doesn't score, Illinois is certainly on the doorstep. They'd have been inside the five. So to that end, we were talking about red zone offense. That's been... One of the largest, most glaring critiques of the offense is cashing in in the red zone. Illinois did that. They had three red zone touchdowns. They got the field goal at the end when they were trying to, you know, trying to just keep the game going. So four red zone trips, four scores, and three of those were touchdowns. So in that aspect of the game, they did execute well. They did get things done. Um, but man, can we talk about these officials for a second? And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. This is, it's not the only reason. It's not the only thing. Illinois had plenty of chances to, to make some plays and they couldn't, you know, Purdue really played well in this game, but if you're just going to sit here and say, you know, don't blame the refs. The refs have nothing to do with it. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're just flat out effing wrong. It's the same officiating crew that was on the field during the Indiana game. Same exact crew. So if you're going to tell me that the same crew that couldn't tell Brian Hightower caught a touchdown after his knee, his elbow, his hand, his head hit the ground while he possessed the football, if you're going to tell me that that crew 
that couldn't see that was on point, we're watching different games. We're watching different games. Big Ten officials in football and basketball, Big Ten officials are the worst in the country, and it's not even close. Specifically, the the DPI flags, the pass interference flags. Witherspoon, that one on that was called when he was defending Charlie Jones. I mean, that's that's asinine. Charlie Jones pushed off Devin Witherspoon. Spoon makes the interception. Again, totally swings the game. Purdue scores on the very next play. They score on the very next play to Charlie Jones. So that was a literally a six, seven point swing. Again, the officials taking the ball out of Illinois' hands and directly benefiting the opposing team. There was contact on there was definitely contact, but it's either a no call, a play on, or it's offensive pass interference. That was not a flag on Spoon at all. Just awful. Just insanely bad. Xavier Scott, another one. A ball that was three yards underthrown. The receiver literally stopped trying to get the ball because he wasn't going to catch it. And here comes a flag. Here comes a flag for interference. Like, it skipped in front of the receiver. And then on that same drive, Sidney Brown gets flagged for a P.I. in the end zone. I mean, it's asinine. Again, there were other things that happened. Illinois had a ton of stupid penalties in this game. Aside from that, there was a lot of stupid stuff that Illinois did to harm themselves. But to say that the officiating crew had no impact on the game, it's just false. It's a bald-faced lie. And I said it in week one that that crew should not be allowed to officiate another game. Like, it's just insane that A, they were allowed to just keep calling games, and B, Illinois got that same crew again. Like, what are you doing? This is one of the most consequential games in the conference, and you put Itchy and Scratchy in there. You put Larry Moe and Curly on the damn field to call this game. I mean, it's just... I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And I'm sure Brett Bielema is going to get another w- strongly worded apology letter. I'm sure they'll... Oh, you know, we probably shouldn't have called this. Sorry. I don't know. So, I got that out of my system. The refs are terrible. Oh, don't blame the refs. Okay, fine. It wasn't just that, but you pair that incompetency with the other mistakes Illinois made, and of course it played a factor. Of course it did. Illinois in the game, 12 penalties, 121 yards total. There were mental lapses all day long. Alex Palczewski, one of... The finest offensive lineman in the Big Ten. He had two really, really bad false starts. One of them was on a a fourth and short where Illinois was going to go for it. Backs him up five yards. It turns into a fourth and nine or a fourth and ten, and they have to punt it. Another one was 
uh, inside the red zone. And he had a hold later on in the game, too, that, that cost Illinois uh, on a play. So, so Paucho had a bad game, unfortunately. Um, there was, you know, some stupid late hits and hands to the faces. And uh, Illinois had plenty of, of self-inflicted wounds. No pressure on the quarterback. I mentioned that earlier. They were dominated up front. Um, it's just strange. Just strange. You know, the drops, the penalties, the failure to execute. It's frustrating as hell. So now, after all of this, you've got a four-way tie atop the Big Ten West. Illinois, Purdue, Minnesota, and Iowa, each tied at four and three. I spent my Saturday at Kinnick Stadium watching Iowa put up more Bronze Age offensive statistics. I think it wound up being 146 yards, and they beat Wisconsin by two scores. They dominated Wisconsin and put up 146 yards of offense. It took... I tweeted this on Saturday. It took Iowa 44 minutes and 45 seconds to gain 100 yards of offense. 15 seconds left in the third quarter before Iowa surpassed 100 yards. And they won! That game was Kirk Ferentz's wet dream played out in real life. He wasn't kidding when he said to BTN the most overrated statistic in football was offensive yards. He really believes it. I watched that game in person and I was like, oh my God, like this is a nightmare. Like it's not entertaining, it's not compelling, it's not interesting, but it works for them. And now Iowa, Iowa might be in the driver's seat again. They still got to beat Minnesota. They have to beat Nebraska. Purdue's got the quote-unquote easiest path left. Northwestern and Indiana. But it wouldn't surprise me if Iowa, who was left for dead, they were roadkill like a month ago. They might win the damn Big Ten West again. And they flattened Purdue. That's what was so frustrating to me about this Illinois game. Iowa left tire tracks on Purdue a week ago. Just ran them over, ran right through them. And Illinois just did the same old stuff. Too conservative when they should have gone for stuff. You know, just trying to... The whole, like, not lose thing instead of seizing control. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating. And... I've been trying so hard. I've been trying so hard to not be this guy. I've been trying so hard all year long. I've been saying, like, just trust this coaching staff. I trust Brett Bielema. It's not the same old shit. They're not going to do this letdown thing. And now they've done the letdown thing. I wasn't even super disappointed last week. I was upset that they lost, but I'm like, you know, they still outgained Michigan State by 150 yards. It wasn't like they played badly. It was just, it was the execution stuff. They could not score points, but they were putting up yards. They were moving the ball. 
This game just felt different. Purdue was in control for most of this game. And I've been trying, as I said, I've been trying to wag my finger at Illinois fans like, can we not do this? Can we just enjoy the season? But now it's circling back to, we're Illinois, we can't be trusted. We can't have nice things. I don't like that all these old feelings are creeping back in. I don't like it. I don't. But uh, Kyle Tausk, one of our writers, does the football recaps on Sundays. He summed it up pretty well. I mean, the Illini that we saw in August, September, October, that group has not shown up in November. They really haven't. And you can blame whatever you want. It's a cocktail of a lot of different things. It's a cocktail of being dominated up front, undisciplined play, bad officiating, conservative game planning. It's, it's a combination of all of those things. The fact that Illinois is not going to win the Big Ten West, a season in which the Illini beats Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota, and you still don't win the Big Ten West, that is disconcerting. More so than the signals that Purdue was using on defense. That is disconcerting. Frankly, the Illini have not comported themselves like a division champ the past few weeks, you know, losing back-to-back games to Michigan State and Purdue at home. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, this team was all but assured a trip to Indianapolis. We're like, let's pack our bags, let's book our hotels for Indy, and now they have no idea where they're going to end up. And now you're going to Michigan Possibly without Chase Brown. It looks like that's probably going to be the case. Now you're hoping just let's beat Northwestern. Northwestern. Northwestern's the worst team in the Big Ten. They might be the worst team in America. They have not won a game played in America. They might be the best team in Ireland, but they're the worst team in America. (laughs) They've not won on the continent of North America. Thank you, Scott Frost, for depriving us of potentially an 0-12 Northwestern Wildcats football team. So I'm not worried about Northwestern. I think uh, Illinois can summon up enough pride to beat Northwestern. Can you summon up enough pride to just belong on the same field as Michigan? Because a couple weeks ago I thought, you know, I think Illinois is not going to win that game. That's an L. But I think they could keep it within, you know, 14, 17, at least make Michigan sweat a little bit. Now I'm not so sure, especially if Chase Brown isn't there. If he's gone and you've got Reggie Love as your RB1, that's scary. They better be ready to throw and throw and throw some mo. <laughs> So that's where we are. Still 7-3, and three, still going bowling. All those goals, all those you know benchmarks that we thought may have been attainable are still there. But Big Ten Championship game, it's all but gone. That's almost done and dusted at this point. It is what it is. Just got to keep working, keep preparing, try to get better, try not to make the same stupid mistakes that you made against Michigan State and Purdue. 
Hope it's not a disaster against the Wolverines and then beat Northwestern, get out of here 8-4 and four and go to a bowl. I don't know if you had seen this, but there was another round of bowl projections earlier in the week. I think it was from ESPN. I don't remember, but the latest matchup, the latest projection had Illinois in the Citrus Bowl against Alabama. Illinois and Alabama mentioned in the same sentence when it comes to football. And that sentence is no longer, hey, Alabama is tremendous and Illinois is awful. (laughs) Like that would be a sentence you would have said out loud up until about September 5th. It's like the Bears and the Packers. They're both three and six right now or entering this weekend. They were both three and six. But the excitement level about each team is completely different. You know, the Bears are three and six, but it's like, hey, you know, they're rebuilding. They might only win one or two more games the rest of the year, but they're going to be fun to watch. I've said it before. If you're going to be bad, at least be entertaining. At least make it worth my while to spend that three, three and a half hours watching your product. The Bears defense is going to be lousy the rest of the year, but Justin Fields looks like he's putting stuff together. So there's optimism. And then Green Bay, you have Aaron Rodgers just scowling (laughs) more than usual. Scowling more than usual, I'll say that. Uh, Probably being more passive-aggressive than usual probably blaming everybody else other than himself. Both those teams were entering this week three and six. One was undergoing a rebuild and one was billed as a Super Bowl contender. I'll let you figure out which team that is, but that's what this reminds me of. Illinois, we're like, Hell yeah, the Citrus Bowl. That's a nice honor to be bestowed on the Illini. That merits a great deal of excitement. That merits a great deal of a happiness. It elicits a positive reaction. And on the flip, you've got Alabama probably thinking, man, I don't want to go to the goddamn Citrus Bowl. What the hell is this? (laughs) We didn't sign up for this. I could do a two-hour podcast just on this game, and at the moment, it's a complete figment of our imagination. I mean, it ain't going to happen now, but... (laughs) But just dreaming of it, man, that was fun while it lasted. I was just looking at the Big Ten Bowl pairings, bowl affiliations. Um, You've got the Citrus Bowl in Orlando, January 2nd. Was talking about that a little uh, earlier with the Alabama stuff. I suppose that's still somewhat possible. You have the whatever the hell it's called now bowl, formerly known as the Outback Bowl, the Relia something, Relia Quest or something. That's in Tampa, January second. Uh, you've got the Music City Bowl, the Duke's Mayo Bowl. 
the Pinstripe Bowl, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, which I think used to be the Insight Bowl, and the Quick Lane Bowl, which used to be the Little Caesars Pizza Bowl, used to be the Motor City Bowl. That's at Ford Field right after Christmas. So honestly, we know Illinois is going to go somewhere. I hope it's not Yankee Stadium. Of all of those possible destinations, you've got Detroit, Phoenix, Charlotte, Nashville, Tampa, Orlando. The only one you really don't want to go to at the end of December is New York City. Todd Brownwellcamp had him on the show a while back when we were talking Iowa. He was at Yankee Stadium for the Pinstripe Bowl when Iowa played. I think it was Boston College. And it's just the bowl game itself is fine, but you're playing on a frozen-over baseball stadium. They have an open-air press box. So even if you're media covering the game, you're miserable. Like, even if you play in Detroit, like, you're inside, right? <laughs> like, we can play in Indianapolis. Indianapolis is indoors. Detroit, Ford Field is indoors. So uh, it's looking more and more like maybe the Duke's Mayo Bowl or the Music City Bowl. Those may be the two more likely options now at this point. Again, I, I've tried to maintain perspective. I was telling you all to just enjoy the season, relish it, but yeah, now we're a little disappointed. Sure, disheartened, disconcerted. Yeah, but I'd much rather be in Charlotte, North Carolina, or Nashville, or Tampa, or Orlando than the Bronx, New York, at the end of December or early January. Oh, man. You try getting a plane ticket or a hotel in New York City around New Year's Eve. Let me know how that turns out for you. It's going to be a shit show. I hope they end up in Florida or somewhere warm. It's better than Rock Island or Rantoul or Redbud. <laughs> we know they're going somewhere. But man, it just... It feels like the same old song and dance. Man, I told you there was a lot of stuff to talk about regarding football. There was a lot to work through. <laughs> uh, there's more discourse, more perspective at thechampagneroom.com if you want to read more about football. Um, or if you don't, I completely understand that too. Because <laughs> uh, I'm also going to shift focus now to basketball. Before we get into football, and believe me, there's <laughs> plenty to say about Illinois football, uh, I want to focus on basketball, the men's side specifically. Um, Plez Honeywood, I've told you before on the podcast, I just love his stuff. Big fan of his work at the Champagne Room. Uh, he penned a couple of fun basketball pieces this week. Uh, the first one was referring to recruiting. Illinois getting all three of their 2023 commitments signed. So they've all signed their national letters of intent. They'll officially be coming to Champaign next year. That in and of itself is a pretty big accomplishment, getting three commitments, three verbals, and then all three signing on the dotted line. Um, and again, it's a top 20 recruiting class. So you got to start with... Dre Gibbs Lawhorn, he's kind of the newest commitment. 
He was the, the kid who decommitted from Purdue, 6-1, guard out of Lafayette. He's from Lafayette, playing at Montverde now. A teammate of Sky Clark's at Montverde, so obviously there's a connection there. There's a rapport relationship there. Uh, Brad Underwood raved about Gibbs Lawhorn stepping in for Sky Clark during his recuperation, you know, during his time away due to that knee injury. Gibbs Lawhorn, he can score at all three levels. You know, he's a playmaker and a nice security blanket, I guess, to have, if you want to look at it that way. Plez referred to him as a as an insurance policy. And you know, certainly plucking a prized recruit away from a conference rival is... <laughs> <laughs> is something to boast about as well. Um, I think I talked about this when Dre Gibbs Lawhorn initially committed to Illinois. Uh, I don't know all of the semantics, all the details, but the rumor is that after he committed to Purdue, Dre Gibbs Lawhorn informed Matt Painter that he still planned on taking recruiting visits to other schools, which again, lots of recruits do. So anyway, Dre Gibbs Lawhorn reportedly notified or or told Matt Painter he intended on taking other visits. Painter tried to scuttle that and basically threatened to pull his offer if he did. And Dre Gibbs Lawhorn said, all right, well, nice to see you. <laughs> and decommitted and later winds up at Illinois. So I, how much of that's true? How much of that's just, you know, kind of trying to make one or the other party look good or bad. Not really sure, but nonetheless, Dre Gibbs Lawhorn now officially an Illini starting in 2023. Uh, then you have Imani Hansberry who uh, came in, I think in the late summer, if I recall. Baltimore area product, Chester Frazier had a huge tie-in there. He's from the DMV. Hansberry 6'8 forward. Good motor, and again, fits that template of being a versatile, athletic player that can play multiple positions, defend multiple positions. Brad Underwood says, uh, has mentioned that he loves Almani's feel for the game. You know, he's just a, a competitor, and Illinois had prioritized him early on, locked him in, and, you know, he's going to be. An addition, you know, a guy at 6'8", 235, you know, that could be a guy you may very well see right away. You know, he, he fits that mold. And then uh, Zachary Perrin, who initially committed for the 2022 class, the, the French forward, had some issues with uh, the clearinghouse. There was some kind of, you know, academic hurdle to overcome. He decided to come to the States and do a year of prep school. And would, he said from the beginning, he's still committed to Illinois, but he's going to do the, the prep school thing for a year and then sign when he could sign. And voila, there he is. C'est magnifique. Brad Underwood, three for three on those recruits. Still room to add. You know, presumably, you're going to have a, a different team again next year You know, with... You know, Shannon, 
Yeah, maybe Coleman Hawkins, maybe Melendez, maybe Sky Clark or some of these other guys depart. It's just the way the world works now in college basketball. You're reloading every single year. It's going to be hard to get a lot of what we saw the first several years of the Brad Underwood era, where you have veteran guys that have stuck around through thick and thin. You're not going to see a lot of guys like, even going back a few years, like Aaron Jordan or a guy like uh, Kipper Nichols, who was there through the John Gross era into the early stages of the Brad Underwood era. And then, of course, you know, Io being a, a three-year player, Kofi being a three-year player, DeMonte and Trent Frazier being five-year guys maintaining their commitments when they they could have certainly gone elsewhere i think those days are mostly gone you're lucky if you're going to get the same nucleus for two years let alone three four or five so you just got to keep going at it keep plugging away recruiting wise and bringing in those guys that fit your system and uh, just another ho-hum top 20 class for brad underwood he gets the guys to buy in He's finally got personnel to fit the system he's not so secretly always wanted. And now we're just we're watching it unfold in front of us. Uh, another article from Plez was regarding the newcomers, the, the ones that are currently on the Illini roster on scholarship. Terrence Shannon, Ty Rogers, Sky Clark, Sincere Harris, Jaden Epps, Dane Danger. We'll have plenty more on Dane Danger later on. Uh, and then uh, Matthew Meyer, of course. So uh, Plez tying in a little bit about those players with his hip-hop references of choice. And it's really fun. If you're a, a hoop head and a hip-hop head, highly recommend you read that. Really good stuff from Plez, as always. So transitioning from that into actual on-court stuff, Illinois, of course, tipping off the basketball season last Monday, the 7th, starting off with EIU and notching a decisive 87-57 victory Monday night. Matthew Myers scored the first points of the new season for Illinois. Um, First of all, Terrence Shannon Jr., absolute freak. TSJ, the opener against EIU, 24 points, 13 of 15 from the free throw line. I think he is going to be the number one dude, the alpha for this team. I would think probably the leading scorer. He's probably the least streaky of the guys that Illinois has on the roster right now. So I, and he's the most dependable um, as we're moving ahead. But just a freak. And each of the first two games, he's laid down some you know, hammer thunder dunk and it's just brought the house down totally embodies the the fit the type of player the type of team that brad underwood wants to have out there coleman hawkins got off to a tremendous start was five of six from three in that first half against eiu finished with 23 points 12 rebounds sincere harris was definitely a problem in a good way like the best possible way Pest on defense, explosive athlete. Uh, He missed a couple of dunks, and then he missed one again versus UMKC. 
he might be the greatest missed dunker in the history of basketball. Like he's just flying around, hyper athletic. I think he's going to be a star. And he was kind of overlooked because of guys like Epps and Sky Clark and even Ty Rogers coming in. I think Harris certainly has early on established a big time role on this team. Dane Danger, 17 points, 10 rebounds in his Illini debut. Shot 8 of 9 from the field. Um, again, I'll have more on Dane Danger in just a moment. Uh, but I thought, you know, overall, EIU started the game pretty well. They, they came at Illinois. They didn't play scared. They weren't intimidated. John Crispin, who was doing the game for ESPN, you know, pointed out that the Panthers looked a lot tougher. EIU is 5-26 and 26 last year. Uh, again, they're playing a, a team that's far more talented in Illinois. But, again, John Crispin noticed that the Panthers were attacking. They were not just playing to not get blown out. You know, they were, they were you know, coming at Illinois pretty hard and, and hung with them for a little bit. And then, as we see typically with the overmatched team, the superior team takes over in the second half and, and winds up pulling away, and that's what Illinois did. Uh, defensively, 10 steals for Illinois in that game. Nine blocked shots held Eastern to 35% shooting. Had 53 rebounds in the game, forced 18 EIU turnovers. Defensively, everything you'd want to see, especially early on in these, you know, these bye games, these, uh, these non-conference games. And that's the seventh straight season opening victory for the Fighting Illini. Moving now to Missouri, Kansas City. The Kangaroos came to Champaign on Friday night. And that game was not as exciting as early. Fighting Illini really struggled from the field. Uh, at the under 12 timeout, they were 2 of 19. And I believe 0 for 10 from 3. And they trailed nine to eight. So as poorly as they were playing, they were down by one point nine to eight and wound up winning 86 to 48. So they were up 39-23 at halftime. So again, they started really rough, that two of 19 stretch to start the game, and then got into a good rhythm, started making some things happen. And a lot of it honestly started with Dane Danger. First half, seven points, 12 rebounds, four blocked shots. You know, he subbed in kind of midway through the half and really took over the game at that point. Um, wound up with 20 points, 15 rebounds, five blocks, nine of 11 from the field in 23 minutes off the bench. Man, he has been fun to watch. This whole Illinois team has been fun to watch in the early going. Uh, it's all about that speed. You've noticed the speed right away. The defense has played really well. 57 points and 48 points allowed in those first two contests. I mean, it's an LOL kind of thing. Illinois started the UMKC game 1 for 18 and won the game by 38. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Holding the Kangaroos to 31.3% shooting, 14.3% from three, and forced 24 turnovers as well. 
So this is this is what Brad Underwood wants to do. He wants to play with pace, extreme pace, lots of pressure, and it's led to a lot of fast break opportunities, lots of dunks, lots of open threes, a lot of transition opportunities there for Illinois in the early going. They'll have another what we think is going to be a cupcake game on Monday. They'll take on Monmouth. I don't expect much resistance from the Hawks. Illinois should be on the road to 3-0. And then things really get heated up. You go to Vegas after this, after this Monmouth game, playing UCLA, then potentially Virginia, and possibly Baylor. So those are three teams we definitely expect to see in March, along with Illinois. And winning even one of those games is going to be a nice resume hit. A nice nice thing to put on the demo reel <laughs> when it comes down to Selection Sunday. If you're going to critique anything, I would say the, the free throw shooting has still been really bad. It was particularly bad against EIU. Terrence Shannon was 13 out of 15 from the line. And... I think the rest of the team hit five. Yeah, the rest of the team was five for 18 from the stripe. So you got to work on that. Obviously, it was a little bit better against the Kangaroos, but still not terrific. Not saying you got to be 80% as a team, but Illinois had cost themselves a lot of chances last year because of poor free throw shooting. But you had guards and forwards, guys that are, are shot makers and, and offensive-minded players these first two games that were struggling from the line. So you got to clean that up for sure. Three-point shooting still a bit inconsistent. I think that'll just get better with repetition. You know, Jaden Epps had some nice threes in the UMKC game. You know, they started to heat up in the second half and make some shots. So um, offensively, they'll look pretty good. Defense has been what we expected against teams of this caliber. You got one more relatively breezy game on the schedule, and then it gets pretty tough here for another few weeks. You know, not just the Vegas tournament, but then you have you know Syracuse after that, Texas after that. Not a lot of breathing room uh, once we get clear of Monday's game against Monmouth. All right, so... Obviously, men's basketball season is starting. Illini looking pretty good in the early goings uh, with year six of Brad Underwood. But the Illini women have a brand new start, a new head coach in Shauna Green. They tipped off their season earlier this week and uh, want to bring in our own Alex Orr to discuss some Illini women's hoops. Alex, thanks for popping on the show today, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, again, uh, Nancy Fay is out. Shauna Green is in. She comes from Dayton. Pretty successful run. Six seasons at Dayton, I think, and uh, had some postseason success as well. She's brought a couple players with her. Uh, but before we get into that, just real quick, uh, kind of a uh, some aftermath stuff with Nancy Fay. I mean, I know – Josh Whitman had a connection with her. He was at Wash U. He was the AD there when Nancy Fay mm-hmm. was the coach. Obviously, she predated him, but you don't get to be a Hall of Fame coach. You don't get to win 700-plus games by not knowing what you're doing. 
Mm -hmm. I understand it's a huge leap, you know, D3, you know, non-scholarship players. Yes. Recruiting is a vastly different landscape. You jump into the Big Ten, which is, you know, one of the elite conferences in the country, of course. Yes. Um, What do you think were some of the, I don't want to say issues, but what do you think were some of the main reasons that Nancy Faye did not have success. Again, she won like 700 some games and comes to Illinois and uh, what? One, yeah. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't seven go and to plan, 70 in say. the big 10 or something like that. I and mean, what, what do you attribute some of those, uh, the lack of success to? I mean, number one thing is the environment within the big 10, big 10 women's basketball over the, over her tenure specifically has, it has, improved leaps and bounds like it is astonishing just the general level of play of big 10 women's basketball how that's improved over the past uh, half decade um so i mean that that obviously doesn't help um number two like again illinois doesn't exactly have a great history with women's basketball and like if you were you can't really name a whole lot of d3 schools but you know especially like washu is a very good school like, you know, it's in the same conference as Chicago, And I would say, you know, going there has pretty good benefits outside of, you know, oh, I'm going to play um, uh, sure. college basketball. You know, academically, sure. Yeah, academically absolutely. speaking, yeah. yeah. So, sure. I mean, that that helps out. That's a pretty good sell. That helps out with recruiting. You can get, you know, some people who may are more like D2 players who could, you know, oh, I can go to D3, get a very good education. Um, so, I mean, those are two big issues. Um, also, the cupboard when she got here was kind of bare. I mean, she had yeah. uh, Alex Wittinger, who was pretty good. But beyond that, she didn't have a whole lot. Um, one of the things, like, I will give her credit here. Um, she didn't leave the cupboard bare for uh, Shauna Green. Now, since... Uh, Green was already coaching at a D1 level. She was able to bring in some uh, players she already had connections with to have so far in the early going looked very good. Um, Faye didn't quite have that sort of advantage. So, I mean, she was, it was a bit difficult. It was a bit of a rocky start. Um, Just overall, the environment, um, Big Ten women's basketball didn't help her out. Um, and she wasn't coming in necessarily as a recruiter and yeah, the talent coming in the door wasn't necessarily good enough to keep up with uh, big 10 opposition. Alex or one of our contributors here, at the champagne room covers uh, you know, a little bit of everything like soccer, tennis, women's basketball. You're, you're kind of on the, uh, the non-revenue beat there. He's talking women's hoops with us here on Oski talk. Um, so shifting now from, from the past, you know, Nancy Faye is no longer the coach. Shauna Green is in. I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for Shauna Green. I'm rooting for her as a, uh, a fellow Quad Cityan. Mm-hmm. She's a Quad City native on the Iowa side. She's from Clinton, but certainly uh, I'm rooting for her more than I might for a different coach. But, um, yeah, I, I heard them talking about this. I watched some of the highlights um, from the game, the LIU game. And they mentioned a lot of inheriting players and, you know, how that can, you know, sort of determine the success level that you have. You know, Illinois has five players coming back. Jada Peebles, Jayla Odin, Adelia McKenzie, Kendall Bostic, Giovanni Lopez. But that's it. Like, you're replacing a lot. But A, 
that's typical of the new staff taking over, right? Nothing mm-hmm. new. And B, you were a seven-win team last year. So if you lose 70% of your roster, is it really – is that going to affect you all that much? I don't really know. <laughs> um, and she brought, as I said at the start, you know, Shauna Green did bring in a few players from Dayton mm-hmm. uh, to help, you know, sort of jumpstart this rebuild, so to speak. Um, as far as the roster, you know, what, what are uh, you seeing? What are, what's your takeaway from uh, the, ro- you know, one game in, we're not going to you know give a report card, but yeah. roster wise, you know, what are you seeing that might be different from previous iterations of the Illini? Uh, I mean, she is, it's a, it's an interesting mix of players that were here, you know, last year and transfers, but um, I will say the team, like even towards the end of phase tenure got quicker. And now it's gotten much, much quicker due to a couple of transfers. Um, mainly the uh, person that's going to be running the show is uh, Makaira Cook. She is, she, I mean, I've been blown away in the, um, you know, one actual game and one exhibition game. Um, she, she is, she's going to run the show. She's an all A-10 player last year. Um, you can see why she came along uh, with uh, Coach Green. And yeah, point guard. Um, if she's not running the show, if she, you know, has to take a rest on the bench or something, um, it's probably going to be another transfer. Um, this one, not from Dayton. Uh, it is uh, Genesis Bryant. Uh, she's coming in from NC State, which is, you know, a phenomenal program. But, yeah, very successful. Uh, she is also um, an undersized but very quick guard, which is something that the roster didn't have in years past. So they're generally going to be your point guards, um, your small forwards slash um, shooting guards. That's where, you know, uh, I don't know, the old guard kind of comes in. Um, mainly at the moment, it is um, Jayla Odin and Adelia McKenzie, who are sophomores now. They were here last year. Uh, they were kind of running the show last year as the point guard, but now, you know, there's somebody a little bit quicker. And so they've uh, moved moved a little bit up the chain, and yeah, that's that's where they are best suited. Um, they also play two forwards instead of just sort of one center and one forward, um, which is good for particularly Kendall Bostic, um, because that means she gets to play down low more, and she can clean up the boards like crazy. She did so last year, but I mean, she's going to be playing more posts this year. So closer to the hoop you get, the more chances you're going to get. Her fellow uh, partner in the post is uh, Bryn Shoup Hill. Outstanding name. She didn't get a whole lot of time last year at Dayton, but she looks the part so far. Um, 6'3", very athletic. I mean, she's, she's so I mean, it's still early on, but like, she she's looks... the Dane danger of the women's basketball team. The, uh, the <laughs> seldom used, highly touted player that now comes into a new situation and looks really good right away. Yeah, I mean, maybe not putting up double-doubles quite like uh, Dane Danger, but she still looks pretty good. Um, I mean, it's early on, but I mean, this is mostly focusing on the offensive side of the court. Really, what's impressed me the most so far is defense. Again, trying not to dwell too much on the past, but at the start of last year, I wasn't exactly sure what they were trying to do on defense. I think it was a matchup zone, but like, you know, if you're trying to do that... um, you get every single issue you have with playing man-to-man defense and playing zone kind of came out trying to do a uh, matchup zone. Uh, so, I mean, it was some of, man, this is being too downtrodden, but it was some of the worst defense I've ever seen. 
which is really no, saying I, something. I think was, that's I think that's uh, to your point though. I think that's true because every time I would try to you know watch a a women's game or I'd see it on BTN, it was like they're losing you know seventy to forty or eighty to fifty. It's like they just they were just they were not competitive on that side of things and you know we'll get to more on this later but you mentioned you know how good the big 10 has become lately there's mm-hmm. you know they're four five six deep at the top and you got to play some semblance of defense so I, I totally agree with you there yeah and they've started out pretty well they've held uh both of their opponents again it's still early to uh, they're in the 40s, and they yeah. didn't do that at all last year. Generally, they were scoring about 70, their opponents were scoring 70, 80 points. And even like, you know, the uh, cupcake games or supposed cupcake games in the non-conference, they were still up and the opponents were still up in about the 60s or so. Yeah. So, I mean, this is uh, the early uh, returns are promising so far, but, you know, yeah. it's still early. <laughs> Cautious it, optimism. Chatting with Alex Orr on Oski Talk chatting about women's hoops, uh, early season stuff, the new era with Shauna Green taking over for Nancy Faye. Uh, you mentioned the the first regular season game that was against LIU. The, the Sharks came to Champaign on Wednesday. It was a 35-point win, 75-40, to 40-17 to 40 to at halftime. So obviously Illinois took control early and just kind of wore mm-hmm. cruise control after that. Five Illini and double figures. After the game, you know, Shauna Green said, well, we'd expect a lot of coaches to say, you know, it's one game at a time. We're just trying to go 1-0 every single day. What were your your first impressions? You sort of talked about it, but first impressions on the team, you know, very early on in the season. I mean, number one, the number one thing that stood out to me, as I mentioned before, was the defense. Um, just exceptional lockdown, man-to-man defense. I don't think... Um, say in a possession, LIU had like an open shot. Um, their first shot was open. Granted, they made um, most of their they made most of their hay on second and third opportunities because they were chucking up threes, contested threes, and then it would sort of carry them off way over Atlanta rebounders' heads to another shark who was a little bit more open. Um, they either scored by doing that or they scored on fast breaks, but otherwise. I mean, it was it was it was a breath of fresh air on that end of the court. Um, on offense, I, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, hmm. they seem well drilled just overall. Uh, I, I mean, there's not they don't do anything like particularly special. They don't rely on one thing. Like you know, the men's team last year, what they did was okay, five out or four out, and then you know, feed Kofi in the post. They don't really rely on that as much. They still they did pretty well um, cleaning the glass on that end of the court as well and getting a few second chance opportunities. But like, yeah, it's still early. <laughs> I don't really have much to go off of so far, but it, it, it's it's working. So I mean, no complaints here. So we talked a little bit about the uh, the schedule, Alex. Uh, obviously, you know, LIU. But Illinois has a stretch here of uh, some some very winnable games. They got Alcorn on Sunday afternoon, then mm-hmm. East State and Evansville. Those three teams were a combined twenty four and fifty nine, I believe, if my math is correct, <laughs> mm-hmm. last year. Now, not saying Illinois was great because they certainly were not, but 
those are games you would expect even a a lower tier Big Ten team to win fairly comfortably. And yes. it's the type of schedule we we expect to see in this circumstance. A new coach mm-hmm. coming in, trying to stack some wins, get some confidence, have the players yes. talk about themselves. Brad Underwood had those a couple of years with, you know, Augustana coming into town mm-hmm. and uh, like McKendry and teams like that. So mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's not rare to see that from a new coach, a new regime. Yes. Um, so it looks like Thanksgiving is when things will start getting much, much tougher. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you can dive a little bit deeper into that. But what's uh, your sort of overview of the schedule for, for the women? Yeah, the non-conference isn't particularly difficult, particularly as a stretch before, you know, they start playing any sort of conference opponents. Uh, The real first measuring stick, I would think, would be Charlotte. They, um, for Thanksgiving weekend on Black Friday, they head down to Daytona for the Daytona Beach Invitational. And their first game, they will be taking on the 49ers of Charlotte, who were picked second in Conference USA this year. So, I mean, that's a pretty good, I mean, that would be a team last year I would, you know, be kind of worried about, you know, it seems like the first reasonably quality opponent. And if they take care of business there, then, you know, sky's kind of the limits. Um, but beyond that, um, their last, well, it's yeah, Delaware kind of, was in that. Yeah. Delaware was in that tournament too. Yeah. Um, that's, they're not going to be an easy out. I mean, I know no. Deladon's not there anymore. She hasn't been for a while, but. But they're mm-hmm. a pretty uh, consistently good program too, as and as like that mid major would be concerned. Yes, yeah. I mean, they're they're going to be a tough out, and then finally after that, before conference play actually starts, they get the um, Big Ten ACC challenge. They head to Pitt. Pitt. Mm, I'm, you don't hear about them too much in women's soups, but they're a Power Five opponent. So I mean, that's another good measuring stick as well. And then they start conference play, and it starts. You know. The uh, difficulty ramps up there. They start off um, at Indiana. I was going to say the first that's Big Ten a, game That's is, a rough one. Yeah, the first Big Ten game playing the Hoosiers, that's tough. Uh, yeah. Uh, just kind of a sidebar, uh, Terry Morin used to coach at the University of Indianapolis, my alma mater, and, and she did really well at the, the D2 level and then was an assistant for a while and then wound up at Indiana, and now they're one of the best teams in the Big Ten. So uh, she's done a terrific <laughs> job with them. Um, this kind of leads me into this and you had talked about it a bit earlier about, you know, how packed the big 10 is, you know, Iowa, Michigan, Ohio (laughs) state, Maryland, Mm -hmm. Indiana, certainly. What do you expect? Like, I don't think they're going to be, you know, a top half team in the big 10 year one. I don't know. That's that's any situation, any coach, any time with a rebuild. I mean, you know, they but, would have to basically take a full roster from somewhere else and then drop it in, which, right. So yeah, what, that's what seems, and you're, and you follow the team, the program, you know, more closely than most, you know, what seems like a reasonable expectation to you? I, I mean, I, I, I just threw out a number 10th. I threw out 10th as a, as yeah. a, is that something that's attainable? It sounds like big whoop. You're going from 14th to 10th, but I mean, we've seen Illinois was at, the absolute bottom of the barrel the last mm-hmm. couple of years. So anything, you know, if they can win even four or five games in the big 10, it seems like that'd be a, a yes. successful year. Yeah. I, I would agree. 10th is about right. I mean, the goal should be, um, I mean, for any sort of year one, you know, 
you kind of want to hold the bar steady, but you know, last is last. So, I mean, um, the goal, I say the goal, but like the dream would be in playing in some sort of postseason tournament, not necessarily the NCAA tournament, yeah, not necessarily the NIT, but you know, maybe like a version of the CBI or something along those lines. A CIT, a CBI, something. something. Yeah, use your uh, any sort of three-letter acronym. Um, <laughs> just any sort of postseason play, like that would be kind of the dream. So, I mean, that would be good, but like just not the bottom of the big 10, that would be a nice goal. I mean, outside of, because for the past half decade, they've been either 13th or 14th in the big 10. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember that uh, the big 10 tournament this past year, you know, when they beat Wisconsin in that first round and even the announcers were like, wow, this is a big moment for them. And it's like, they won the 13 14 game in the Big Ten tournament. They were talking about it like it was this milestone, you know, this this big hurdle to overcome. So I mean, it just it it tells you like mm-hmm. so even even something as small as that, like, hey, that's the first game they've won in the Big Ten tournament in like four or five years. Yeah. I think, I think her entire, I think Nancy Faye's entire tenure, I don't think they ever made it out of the first game. So that yeah. in and of itself was like a small win. Yes. Hope to just, you know, it Rome's not built in the day, right? You're not going to yes. expect Shauna Green to compete for big 10 titles, you know, in the first couple of years. But, you know, I, I think just based on her track record and the success she's had and, and bringing players in, she's got a good coaching staff, you know, brought in basically her entire staff from, from the flyers. You know, mm-hmm. it seems like they're on the right track. Can they, pull a Brad Underwood and, and be, you know, NCAA tournament ready in three years. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I feel like there's just a, there's a lot to do. I think the job to rebuild on the women's side is a lot more difficult than on the men's side, just because, you know, mm-hmm. the talent gap, the, you know, the best player and the hundredth best player in the men's game, I think is a lot different than the women. So yeah. it's going to be hard to, you know, piece a roster together. That's going to be super competitive, but Josh Whitman has shown he has a long leash with coaches. He's willing to be patient if he Mm -hmm. feels like it's the right person for the job. Yeah. I mean, I will say, um, especially, you know, in recent years, the talent pool, I don't want to say it's getting diluted, but it's starting to trickle down a bit. Um, So, you know, Illinois, it hasn't made an NCAA tournament in gosh, I want to say a quarter century, if I'm at uh, just about a quarter century is what 1998. I believe. Oh, it's been that long. It's, 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 been, it's been a while. You, you, somebody will need to fact check me on that one, but it's, it's been, a, it's been a while. I'm pretty sure. Was it when Grenz was still there? Holy moly. Yeah. I don't think a uh, law got there. I don't think Ballant got there. And I don't think if Faye didn't get there either. So Except yeah, I thought, I thought law might've gotten there at least once, but man, yeah, it's it's been it's been it's been a while. So I mean, and, uh, it's a lot to overcome. It's a lot to overcome in state. It's just you're you're trying to overcome history, overcome a whole lot of history, not good yeah. history. Yeah, you know, it mm-hmm. seems like as you said, the early returns are that uh, that Shauna Green is is that right fit, and you know maybe we can start seeing some more success. I mean, 
I'll have to, to double check that. So you have to fact check that. When the last time? Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit better. It's about five. It's five years better uh, to be specific. They last made it in uh, 2002, 2003. Wow, that's hard yeah. to believe because I remember when I was a kid, like maybe a kid, maybe <laughs> maybe middle school or you know early on in high school. I remember like Ashley Bergeron, and she was like all Big Ten. Like I remember mm-hmm. that. It, was, it feels like that was not 25 years ago. It's but- <laughs> But man, so 20 years, 20 yeah. years. That's uh, and specifically the last time they played in the WNIT was a decade ago in 2013. Wow. So, so even yeah, postseason, it's been, been a long time. It's been a while. So, I, I think Shauna Green is going to get there. I think she's going to get people interested in the program again. She seems to have a good outlook, seems to, you know, get that buy-in. That's really the most important thing. You know, Brad Underwood's had that with the men's side, you know, Brett Bielema on the football side has had that buy-in, getting guys to commit and mm-hmm. and stay the course and you know really believe. And I think if you can get those players that fit that mindset, I think you can be successful. So earlier the turns are promising though. So yeah, and like we said, we have you know LIU's out of the way. You got Alcorn, McNeese, Evansville, Oakland. I mean, those are teams that. I think you have a chance to get, you know, four or five wins under your belt before it starts getting really difficult. And so um, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Yep. All right. Alex Orr, kind of deviating off course a little bit. We're talking some women's hoops today. You know, hadn't been much to talk about the last 20 years, apparently. So yeah. um, <laughs> trying to nothing good specifically, nothing good to talk right, about. Right. Nothing, nothing super positive. So, Hopefully this uh, starts trending upwards. So Alex, uh, appreciate your your insight. Thanks for joining the Oski Talk. Yep, anytime. Okay, going to wrap up the show as always with our Illini of the Week. I have two honorees for this week. Both of them have been mentioned during this episode. I'm going to start with uh, Makaira Cook from the women's basketball side. 17 and a half points. Six and a half rebounds and two steals per game in a couple of Illini wins. They defeated LIU on Wednesday and Alcorn State on Sunday. Makaira Cook, one of those incoming transfers. Shauna Green brought her over from Dayton as well, and she's made an immediate impact in the early going for the Illini. And Dane Danger, speaking of newcomers, making an impact. Dane Danger, couple of games for men's basketball against Eastern Illinois and Kansas City, combined for 18.5 points per game, 12.5 rebounds per game, and 3.5 blocks per game. And he's been doing that off the bench. Played 16 minutes as a reserve on Monday night against Eastern Illinois, 23 minutes off the bench against Kansas City, and he has been beastly thus far. Cue the mystical references. Cue the Top Gun references. Looks like a, a lot of Illini opponents are going to be in the danger zone in the weeks and months to come. So Dane Danger and Makaira Cook are Illini of the week. Special thanks to my guest Alex Orr from the Champagne Room sharing his insights, his knowledge on the women's basketball team. Thanks to you, of course, for listening. And if you want to catch up on previous episodes of Oski Talk, you can do so 
by clicking the podcast link at thechampagneroom.com or downloading the show wherever you get your podcasts. Could be a rough seven to eight days for Illini Nation between the Michigan game and football next Saturday, the Vegas trip next weekend, UCLA, Virginia, Baylor. We could have some good stuff to talk about, or we could be in our feelings again next week. (laughs) Only time will tell. Uh, But until then, I'm Drew Pastoric, ILL.